You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 22. Uh, My name's Rusty and with me... Uh, for this show is Andrew over there, otherwise known as Darth Vader. How you going, Rusty? Yeah, good, mate. Next to me is Greg. How you doing, Greg? Yeah, good. Self. Excellent. And uh, for tonight's uh, edition, we have Daryl, who has been on the show before. How are you, Daryl? Yeah, I'm good. Good, Rusty. Excellent. Yeah. Daryl's uh, business is uh, Metplat um, Firearm Services, who he's appeared here before with uh, under an interview, but tonight he's part of the uh, part of the discussion panel or whatever we want to call it um tonight's topic uh assuming we get around to it uh, is load development which is what was our what was meant to be our last uh, episode's um topic as well but we just kind of got distracted so we're not answering any questions uh, tonight um we'll we will move on to the topic but there are a couple of matters of of business i guess how's everyone's week or couple of weeks been been good yeah, as good as one can be for not going shooting. <laughs> so pretty terrible then. Yeah. yeah, boring. Greg hasn't got any guns at the moment, so no, I've got a, a two-two-three, but it, uh, it's not even sighted in at the moment. So yeah, bit out of shape. Yeah, right. Darrell, have you been shooting? Yeah, I, oh, I, you did go shooting. Yeah. I, I did get the opportunity to hit some steel with my uh, three-seven-five on the weekend to check out uh, or test out some new steel plate and uh, fire form some loads for my four-sixteen as well. Yeah, that's not a. Not a bad thing. Mm. Well, uh, I guess I have to. Um, I, I've been shooting a little bit, which is good. I picked up my Ruger Precision rifle, which I've been talking about for a little while, and um, I've uh, picked that up on Friday. Today is now Tuesday, and I've put through uh, two hundred rounds through it, and uh, to do my load development, uh, not load development, my velocity testing, and um, no real noticeable difference over those two hundred rounds. Realistically, actually, I was hoping for for a velocity increase, and it's done the opposite. It's actually gotten a bit slower. Um, anyway, I'll document all that stuff and actually put it out there so the information's there. One rifle is not conclusive enough, so Greg, you're going to do some a similar sort of thing. Yeah, I'll do the same with the the six by forty seven when I get it back, and um, yep. we'll compare notes. Absolutely, and then I'm sure someone else will have a gun at some point, and we'll do the same thing on that. See if we get some some data on it. And Rusty, what's your initial impression of the Ruger Precision Rifle? It's it's it's. Uh, I guess the qualifier is um, for the dollars you pay. It's really good. I mean, you guys have held it tonight and had a bit of a play and cycle. What do you think? Yeah, look, I, I like it. I, I think you're right. Um, for value for money, it's really up there. Um, it's it's set up for competition and. Yeah. Uh, it's good that you've got choice of calibers, um, all all relevant to precision shooting. Yeah. Um, and if if it shoots well, and initial indications with your rifle at least is that it does, then uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a good buy. I was um, pleasantly surprised. It doesn't feel like a cheap gun. It, it it's solid and mm. it it's smooth. It you know it's not fancy. I don't think there's anything on the gun that doesn't need to be there for for what it's designed for. Um, Seemed pretty good. Yeah. yeah, cycling the bolt I thought was uh, quite pleasant, you know, like pretty easy to cycle. Um, you know, I went over it for, you know, a lot of, you know, worksmanship if it's lacking a bit, you know, you get a lot of large gaps and, you know, I didn't really notice a lot of those. Um, thought it was pretty good worksmanship. 
um, overall. Yeah, yeah, the folder locks up like it should, which was one of my concerns. I thought it might be a little loose, but mm. haven't noticed anything on that. Um, I really like the inline recall. It means you, you're basically not dropping off target. Um, sort of anything, you know, a couple hundred metres and beyond, really, you can watch almost watch it hit and that's that's interesting too because your your rifle doesn't have the muzzle brake on it yet so if you can still see impacts quite clearly yeah without the muzzle brake that's that's mm, you know that's a really good indicator good. yeah absolutely I, mean, I probably will put a muzzle brake on it but um if if i was just going to keep it for me to shoot i probably wouldn't it i think it's quite capable without um but because it's going to be used by plenty of people um it'll probably end up with one although the more i shoot it the more kind of want to keep it for myself <laughs> buy another one <laughs> yeah no worries cool greg uh, can i borrow some money yeah sure mate i've got heaps <laughs> awesome brilliant um oh daryl just so you know um greg has heaps of money so right, you heaps. can yeah. certainly bring it up a few times through the podcast if you wish <laughs> sure now um uh, and aside um the guys from vic precision um have their shoot coming up um in end of june and Thought we'd get Jared on the line to have a little bit of a chat about the details. So, Jared, are you there? Yeah, mate, I'm here. Thanks very much for coming onto the show, mate. No worries, mate. Now, you've got your shoot uh, end of June. What are the dates for that? Yeah, 26th of June. So, I think that's three weekends away. Yeah, no, it's not far away now, is it? Yeah, nah. Yeah, brilliant. So, for anyone listening, where uh, where do they need to go? What do they need to bring? What's the story? Uh, so, again... We're at Castlemaine Rifle Club in Castlemaine. So all, all of our matches are held at the Castlemaine Rifle Club for the minute. Yep. Um, How far out of Melbourne is that? Uh, just over an hour. Oh, okay. That's not, not bad at yeah. all then. No, it's not far. It's just straight up the Calder Freeway on the way to Bendigo. Yep. So, um, and what to bring? Well, pretty much if you're planning on shooting, you just need your match fee, shooter's license, and either an NRAA or VRA um, membership card or SSAA membership card, um, and that's it. Then just your your rifle and backpack. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So that, um, in terms of rifles, I think we've we've covered that on the other show. We chatted about which, if anyone's uh, hasn't heard, head back and have a listen to to what um, Jared and the guys over there and Vic are doing. Um, but a re- bit of a brief summary. What do the guys need, or is it pretty so, much anything? Yes, it's pretty much. I get. I get a lot of guys contacting me asking about what, what gear they need and they're all sort of sort of thinking they need the top end stuff. Look, all you need to be competitive is a rifle that shoots around MOA at hundred meters. Yep. A scope with adjustable turrets and a backpack to carry your, you know, your ammunition, a drink, you know, a jumper, whatever whatever else you think you need. That's that's it, you know. The the beauty of what we do is that it's all about you, the shooter. It's not about your equipment. Yep. You know what I mean? So yeah, like well, a lot of us do have pretty good gear, but you don't need it to shoot well. Yeah, that's that's uh, certainly true, isn't it? You can shoot yeah. very well if you know if you know your gun well, you do well. But otherwise, even if you even if you get out there and just have a go, that's, well, that's, that, that's it. It's all um, you know, only one person can win, so the rest <laughs> of us are just you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. It's all, it's all about having fun, you know. And it, it is still new, and there are a lot of things popping up around around the country in different mm. states, and the only way they're going to gain popularity is people turning up and shooting, you know, having yeah. some fun. Absolutely. If we get along, how's this? This is your second event for the year, is it? Or so this, Yeah, this is match two of the year. Yep. Um, yeah, so at the minute, we have opened up pre-registration. Okay. It's not, not something I ever thought we'd have to do, but there has been just so much interest in it that 
yeah, we just open up pre-rojo for anyone that knows they are definitely coming. They can guarantee themselves a spot in the day if they pretty much just prepay that 50 bucks. <laughs> okay, and, and how do they do that? Um, get in contact with me through the website or Facebook page or my info is on the flyer, and then I'll, I'll send them out an information email. Okay, and, and yeah. what's the website? Uh, Victorian Precision Service Rifle Series. So it's a new website. We've only just got up a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, it's actually Glenn Roberts from Precision Shooting Australia got me onto it. It's just a free website builder. So yeah, nice. A couple of hours one Sunday night, and I had almost the whole website done. So yeah, right. It was, it's good just to get that info out there. You know, like there's there's a lot of info I've put up on Facebook that it just gets lost. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Through the endless posts, and I found I was getting people asking me the same questions over and over. So having that website up sort of, you know. Put, puts all that information in one spot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the the site, it's still evolving a lot. You know, it does change every sort of week or two. I have a few ideas and I shuffle things around. But, yeah, no, feedback so far has been pretty good. Yeah, wonderful, mate. And so, um, yeah, so jump on the, the website if you're going to uh, pre-register and people can rock up on the day or maybe they... Yeah, yeah, so it's just like normal, just turn up on the day. Um, so we are capping it at two details, so that's 48 shooters. Okay. So, I, you know, I'm not sure if we'll get that many people there, but like I said, there's there's a lot of interest. A lot of people do like to talk, and when it comes down to turning up on the day, it's a whole other story. So, but <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean. But you yeah. know, if I'd, I'd hate to, it's it's just there for, you know, if we get more than 48 shooters, we're we're gonna have to turn people down, and I'd I'd hate to have to do it. But for the minute, we. We'd rather cap the numbers and put on a good shoot than just have too many people there and be too unorganised. Yeah, sort of ab- thing, so. absolutely. And if you can, you know, guys listening, if you are going to get ahead, um, probably best to pre-register. That way, Jared's got a really good idea of the numbers coming along. It's going to well, make, yeah. make a better event, isn't it? If you got the yeah. heads up, that'd help out too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, and just uh, quickly, the the other dates for the um, the rest of the year. Um, yeah. off the top of my head, so we're running four matches this year in Victoria. Yep. The next one is eight weeks later. August 28th. Yep. And the final match of the year is November 20th. November 20th. Don't quote yeah, me on that. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's it. Something around there. Check the website. That's a good excuse to go yeah, to the website the and make sure that those dates are correct. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well, thanks very much. I'm glad that glad things are going pretty well and uh, I look forward to hearing about uh, the shoot in June. Yeah, cool, mate. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, Jared. No worries, mate. Catch. So unfortunately, uh, Greg and I are going to be in Sydney that same weekend as uh, the shoot, but we are going to head over in August and hopefully take a bunch of guys from Adelaide with us. So if you're listening and you're from Adelaide or can get to Adelaide, perhaps not if you're from Melbourne, but if you can get to Adelaide from wherever wherever it is you are and it makes sense, come on over and we'll, we'll do a bit of a, a road trip. Um, so drop us an email or anything like that. Yeah, we um, also... Uh, taking questions for our Precision Rifle Products uh, competition. So as I said, we're not going to do any questions from uh, for tonight, but I do have some information on one of the questions that was asked last time. Greg, you got it next year. Do you want to read out that first question that Rock sent in, um, which we sort of alluded to last week, but uh, last time, but we've done a little bit more on that one. All right. Um He's written, I have been intrigued and have yet to have the chance to confirm what point of impact difference would there be if you have the rifle on its side, uh, lying 90 degrees at 100 metres. 
The reason for this question is I've seen new, uh, few PRS stages in the US by where the f shooter is forced to shoot with the rifle canted 90 degrees. Can you go through this and confirm where the bullet will impact at 100 metres and beyond, assuming your rifle is zeroed at 100 in the normal position? Note, bullet drop, 63mm at 100 metres, scope height, 50mm. Right, so that was the question we had last time. We spoke about it in theory and what we thought would happen, which we thought it would go sort of low and to the left, if I recall our discussions. Anyone confirm that? No, I can't, can't remember what yeah, happened. Yeah, no, I, my brain hurt too much <laughs> last week. I, I gave up. Yep. All right, cool. Um, so I uh, I just got back actually about 10 minutes before you guys all rolled up, um, and I, I tried this out, and what I found was it was low and to the left. Um, one of the challenges was actually finding a position to shoot the rifle from, which... Um, yeah, securing a gun is is the difficult was well, one of the difficult parts. And the first one, I managed to uh, smack myself in the face with a scope, which I haven't done for a number of years. But happy to admit that that happened. Um, but after sort of re rejigging sort of the shooting position, I managed to put a decent three shot group down, and it was about about sort of seven centimeters left and about seven low. It was sort of fairly square. Now this is running a two sixty. Uh, about 100 metres, 140 grainers uh, out of it. So I put that into applied ballistics to tell me what it, you know, to tell it that the, the scope was offset and the impact point was offset. And then I took that data um, and was able to then apply what data it said and got me back on target. Now, what was interesting was the, the windage data it was giving me, which of course I had to use elevation for. Having said that, I, I had a zero stop set on that particular scope, so I had to hold rather than um, adjust. Uh, I had to. I only gave it half of what it was telling me, uh, and that came up uh, spot on. And what, it, what I found was interesting. So then I went around to two hundred meters and shot it um, with the drop it advised, and it was spot on. But I kept the windage uh, consistent. It was it was point uh, four mil the whole way out. Um, bar wind that was actually sort of uh, only really noticeable beyond 500 metres. And so I shot at 200, 300, 400, 500, and then 800. And it, it, apart from the 800, because I then had wind to factor into my additional hold as well, um, the other ones were all first-round hits, and the 800 was a second or third, I think. Um, but it wasn't the only additional that I had on that 0.4 mil um, was what the wind was actually doing uh, at the time, so which is different to what I thought was going to happen. I thought it would be an in, an increase in windage, but it was consistent. So I don't know if anyone's got. I haven't done enough research, as I said. I, I only arrived back just before <coughs> you guys arrived, so I haven't looked at perhaps maybe I've done a setting wrong or something like that, where mm. the windage it was telling me to dial was not correct. No, I, I'd be interested to see it on one more rifle. Just in terms of uh, yeah. just that slight difference at zero at a hundred, just yep. just to see what the difference in results is, to see whether it does open up or mm. um, whether you just happen to jag that that nice <laughs> parallel alignment. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, but I'd like to sort of have a you know a good play over you know a good part of a day rather than um, you know sort of just doing it fairly quickly. I'd like yep. to have a good good look at it mm. and go through and. And sort of work out exactly what's happening and why it's happening because the, the elevation all made sense it is a as a dialed what it told me to dial in obviously in the windage 
dial using so. Um, it did exactly what it should do in terms of that. The windage side of things was a little bit different, and what will be interesting, and, and Matt uh, Matt Butterfield from NT Practical Rifle challenged me to use a Magnum for it, so that will be the next one. And that and that was part of the challenge, is actually finding a comfortable shooting position. Uh, I shot off the bench and then also shot prone. Um, and I think I've found a, a solution for that, but he uh, he wants me to now to do it with a 300 wind mag, so I guess I'll have to do that. <laughs> yeah, I can't let the challenge go un, un, unattended to. So, yeah. Anyway, so that was an interesting little step. So I, I did let um, Rock know about that one, and um, and yeah, hopefully, sort of. I'll, I'll once again, I'll post some data and some details on that um, as to what the findings were so far, but. Obviously, doing the test only on one gun will only tell so much. As Andrew said, to be able to spend a day doing it and then Greg over a couple of different rifles would be a really good way to do it. Is there any other business? We got anything else we uh, we need to talk about? Low development, I reckon. We're going straight into it. I like the move. Excellent. So, um, low development. That's as far as I've thought about what we're talking about tonight. But uh, I guess, uh, Daryl, you've probably got a, a fair... Um, Fair point in the discussion. The reason we've particularly invited you, apart from having a really good understanding of load development, was um, your knowledge of quick load, um, which is perhaps something that surfaced more recently mm-hmm. um, in that load development process. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown what quick load is and, and why it's relevant in load development discussions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, quick, quick load's an internal ballistics program. Um, it's, it has been around for a number of years, but it's still, I suppose, largely undiscovered by a lot of shooters. Yep. Um, someone, you know, asked me if it changed any of my practices and I said, well, quick load changed my reloading life. Um, it, it made a big difference to the way I did business when I was looking for a new load. Um, Mm -hmm. especially because as you know, Rusty, I've got a lot of wildcat calibers and you, there's no data that you can just grab. Sometimes you can extrapolate data from a cartridge in, a, in the you know, same diameter with a similar size case, but it, it doesn't always translate. Um, quick load gives you the ability to predict um, the not only uh, load data for a given powder, but one of the best things about it is that it gives you the ability to cut down the, uh, the number of powders that are selection and, and go straight to the to the powder which is most likely going to give you the best results um now it it is um it is predicted data Mm -hmm. Um, i've been using it for a number of years now and i know that sometimes um the predicted data is scarily close to your actual results in terms of um, velocities and charges yep Um, sometimes it can be off but um like any i suppose program the the more accurate the information that you put in generally the better results you get out at the other end um, it's uh, it's got a, li- a load library uh, or a, a library of cartridges, so just about all the the standard cartridges you can think of are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly for powders and projectiles, so you'll find a whole range of powders and projectiles that you've probably never even heard of. There's especially a lot of European stuff that we don't see or hear about here in Australia. Um, but the other thing that it does is it gives you the ability to put in custom cartridges and custom projectiles or any, anything that's not in the um, in the library. So you just need to uh, measure them up accurately, uh, get all the dimensions and feed that data in and you can save um, those cartridges or projectiles. So 
for me with wildcat cartridges i measure up the cases put in the all the dimensions and the case weight and then i can use that cartridge um, to generate load data as with any other well i guess it'd be fair to say there's you know using sort of i guess traditional methods for load development or you know recommending loads there's no other way to do it as as accurately as as this program I, that i'm aware of anyway yeah look i mean there's no substitute in the end for practical experimentation. Um, you have to, to shoot the loads and see what works in your gun. Uh, every, every gun is different, you know, even in the same calibre, different chamber tolerances, different rifling, um, all the rest. So you, you do have to do the experimentation, but the best thing is it allows you to find the most efficient powder for that cartridge and that projectile combination and starting off at, you know, 8 or 10% below what it suggests is the the maximum pressure load then you just do your, your load development as as normal um, i usually work up in increments of two percent um, and perhaps cull that down to one percent as i'm getting closer to the max charge um, and as i said you know uh, even if it's not 100 percent spot on it will give you a safe starting load um, and and it will tell you which powder um, is going to be the best one so it saves a lot of time experimenting with powders that that aren't going to be right or aren't going to give you the best velocities in that cartridge i guess it's not just uh saving time with powders i mean if you've i mean personally for yourself you'd be recommending load data frequently for customers with the cutting edge projectiles yeah absolutely so um, you know they're a premium projectile you don't want to be wasting them on no, you know, on, far on too loads, expensive that, for that. loads that aren't even going to be in the ballpark so yeah, that's right. Um, cut, cutting edge bullets are, are working slowly towards releasing a um, uh, a load uh, book uh, or a reloading manual for their projectiles. But in the meantime, um, a lot of customers say, "Well, ha- how do I load these monolithic projectiles? Do I need to do uh, stuff differently? Can I use data?" Well, I, I use quick load um, to generate data for for those projectiles and and send it to them, and that that takes the the headache out of um, out of doing that so yeah it's a it's a good it's a good feature um, and as I said I've, I've used it extensively now for for quite a few years but um, yeah there's there's still a lot of people that don't know about it or yep. maybe they've heard about it but have never actually tried it but uh, yeah I certainly it. recommend it so to, to step back I'm sure we'll come back to quick load again shortly there's a number of different load development methods um, Greg, you're about to get a new rifle. What are you What are you aiming to use? What are you planning on using? Is there a particular method um, for load development? Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much how I do it, and and um, I guess this is just the way I was shown. So therefore, I've adopted it. But I usually start uh, twenty thou off the lands in terms of projectile um, seating depth. Yep, um, and. Then for a, I, I don't actually choose a powder in any, you know, I go to the ADI book, like usually, and, and pick a powder from there in terms of uh, looking at the muzzle velocity. Yeah. But I know with the 6x47, there'll be nothing in there. So that's where this software may well come into play. Sure. Um, so I've got to work out a max min that I want to work within. Mm-hmm. And then I, I usually run 0.3 uh, increments from from min to max and try and find a well, you know the highest node i can um in that range and usually i'll, I'll jump on that node maybe do some point ones either side just to see how 
uh, wide that node is. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 more of a node sort of guy rather than the sort of. Optimal. Always picked you as a sort of node guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. into nodes. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> right into them. Most um, most of the rich guys are. <laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> you'll you'll be pleased to know that quick load lists uh, 6.5 by 47 and 6 by 47. Um, there we along go. with a lot of those other does it have much gadgets. node information because that's really what Greg's into well it, does, it, does it list uh, optimal twist rates for those because <laughs> um, it'd probably come up with like a big red flashing sign for Greg's barrow I suspect <laughs> no anyway so okay so you're um, you just sort of now is that is it, I've heard different terms of that. is that that's a ladder test or is there a different because there seems to be two or three different variants of what a ladder test yeah, is what Darth, have you got any information on that? Probably nothing worthwhile. I mean, when it comes to load development, I guess I've probably gotten lucky, really. I mean, I haven't really sort of worked up loads for a lot of factory rifles, so I haven't generally had real issues. I've sort of really come across loads quite quickly that have hit the velocity range that I want, and they're certainly performing the way I want, so I haven't had that need to really... um, do a lot of fine tweaking with a lot of the the variables like seating depth and you know, primers and this and that. You know, I generally, you know, I'll have a particular brand of primer I like and powder selection for one. Really, you know, I mean, there's the optimal and the ideal that the software like Quickload will be able to give you, but it mm. comes down to what you can get. I mean, mm. very well, limited. That's a factor, isn't it? You know, any, yeah. any shooter in this country will know that you know what you might want. It's not going to be necessarily yeah. what you can get. So. Working around, you know, that really culls down a lot of your options. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, like Vitavori powders now pretty much not available here. That's and right. yet I found them to be, particularly in the 300 Wind Mag, you know, the best option. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to work out what to do without them, I guess. But Yeah, I'm the same. The Vitavori was my 3.8 and 300 Wind Mag powder to go to. And I'm quickly running out because those things chew up a fair bit of powder. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess in terms of... Um, having a defined technique for fine-tuning loads, I haven't really had the need to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I've come across the load quickly using sort of fairly much what Greg said, you know, I research online manuals. I don't just go to one. I'll take as many as I can get. Um, I have in the past used Reloader's Nest um, quite extensively. Yes. Which is, you know, people's actual loads, not um, hypothetical loads. So... That's that's a, a website just for those who are not aware of it. Reloaders Nest website, and they do um, number of different. or they list a lot of load data there, and they do two categories: verified and unverified. And correct me if I'm wrong, but verified is where someone has checked it, or a few people have checked it. Is that correct? I'm I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I, presumably it's been checked by more than just the person sending it in. So. Yeah, it's like a peer review sort of setup. Yeah, and again, again, there's so many variables. You can run those exact loads in a gun with the same barrel length and you're not necessarily going to get the same results. So, hmm. But, I mean, it gives you a ballpark figure of the powders, <laughs> A, that are going to be suitable, and then you can cull back the ones that we can't get here. And So, in the past, it's narrowed it down considerably, but... Yeah. One thing I've noticed when I when I look at posted reloading data online is that it, it seems like there's a push by some people to have the fastest load available in in every sort of bullet weight um, yep. for a particular cartridge, and I think sometimes that leads to people really pushing the limits on pressure and probably exceeding pressure. Um, and mm. so I, I, I'm always a little bit um, 
cautious when you know looking at the best possible load because yeah they may have achieved it safely in their rifle but when it sort of bucks the trend you think well don't know that i'd want to push that load in my rifle i mean i would always choose accuracy as the you know the the variable i'd like to to you know refine the most i mean obviously you want to have velocity as much as you can within reason you know, if you've got two two loads at work and you know one's three hundred feet a second faster and it's still safe pressures, well, of course you'd go that load. But um, hmm. I, I will always load for accuracy, you know, first and foremost, and and uh, and then go up from there basically. But often you find that point where the accuracy starts to open up with when the velocity reaches a certain level, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I tend to do is um, always go with. Um, charge weight first um, and find the most accurate charge weight and then mm. progress on to seating depth um, from there um, obviously I guess when you're doing load development there's three things you're looking for um, what's your maximum safe pressure um, what's the maximum safe velocity and where where is the best accuracy and you know as Andrew said um, you're not always going to get a happy marriage of optimum accuracy and optimum velocity sometimes you're going to trade one for the other and I guess it, it depends on uh, what your what your end result that you're looking for is um, obviously for something like precision rifle it's it's going to be accuracy um, as probably being the more important factor yep. um, because you can always deal with a slightly more curved trajectory but if you haven't got the accuracy to to match it then that's I think you know it's a sacrifice not worth making sure yeah yeah and and look there's another method that uh, I mentioned before we started, and that was um, optimum charge weight. Right. Um, yep. Now, I don't know a lot about it. I've not done it myself. Um, Jared from Vic Rifles was telling me about it. He said a lot of um, target shooters use that method. Yep. And the the general idea, and guys, jump in if you know more about it than I do, um, was that you, you find your maximum load, I guess, within a safe safe area and then you 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 jump back like 10 percent from that and you you work up so from that 10 percent down back up to your maximum load you work up in steps but you're not looking for uh, a group a node so to speak in terms of uh, group size you're looking for a node in terms of mpi yeah that's right uh, yeah, I, which is which is a very different way of doing things and it's it's interesting what, I, what do you mean mpi so what you're actually looking at is your point of impact compared to your um, your point of aim, and you're looking for so you've got to ignore the group size completely, and you've actually got to look at your MPI and where it becomes consistent. Let's say it's at one o'clock at half an inch, and say you get that like two loads in a row, that's a node in terms of this way of doing things. Mm. I, so, I, actually, I actually, sorry, Greg, um, go for it. In one of my previous newsletters, I actually put an article about um, optimal charge weight, um, and yeah, it, that's, that's exactly right. So what, what you're doing is you're testing a series of load increments, and um, you're looking for those few charge increments that are closest to each other in terms of where the MPI is compared to your point of aim, and what you're looking for is, okay, um, if... If I've got three loads that have a similar MPI on the target, um, because generally as you increase your charges, the MPI is going to climb and quite often go um, diagonally off to one side as well. But if you can find three different loads that are 
very consistent, then what that's saying is in the middle of that, that load string, you've got a lot of tolerance to changes in charge weight. Yep. So small differences in charge weight aren't going to make a big difference in your, your uh, point of impact. So what they're saying is take that as being your um, your most accurate load, and mm. then from once you've selected that, um, then do your seating depth um, variations and find out what will actually tighten that group up the most. Is that a way of being relatively forgiving? So if you if your if yeah. your powder charges aren't quite, I mean they're good, but they're not quite perfect. You've got a bit of a buffer factor that is still going to put the bullet in the same point. Yeah, absolutely. Despite. Um, yeah, that makes and, sense. And not only that, but it'll also, I suppose, take into account um, some variations in temperature because yep. as temperature goes mm. up and down, so too will your pressures. And what they're saying is that with that, this... That relates back to burn speed, does it not? Yeah, well, look, it, it relates to a few yeah, things, but... Neck the pressures, all sorts of things. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the point is that in the middle of that range... Yep. Um, if, if the pressure is slightly higher or slightly lower, you're still going to have fairly consistent accuracy. And it's all to do with, with barrel time and bullet jump, uh, and, and rifle jump um, right. and finding that load that works best um, in your particular rifle. Yeah, that's an interesting way of doing it because you end up with a load in the top 10% of your powder range. I don't know that it necessarily would have the tightest group. But I guess it depends what you're doing, whether that that method. Well, well, gen- generally it should give you the tightest group because it will, you know, um, show the least variation, I guess. So that's MPI, not. Yeah, yeah, no. But one, mm. once you've once you've found that consistent MPI, then as I said, then you're going to change you're the on, seating depth until yeah. you find the the tightest. Oh, I see group. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's just a different way of doing business, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. I definitely want to try it. And and, and I. I put it to the test um, uh, with with one of my rifles, and, and it was a very different way of doing business. Um, mm. What what the the guy um, who sort of came up with this system is an American guy. Um, he advocates that rather than shooting all your groups um, one at a time, you actually fire your groups one round at a time, and you go to the next target. So, for instance, if you've got six different charge weights, you'll fire the first round of each charge weight on each of six different targets and then you go to the second round and you fire the second round of each group and then you fire the third round and what that does is sort of I suppose even out um, any variations in environmental conditions in barrel temperature in um, any any sort of factors that mm. that might be changing from group to group uh, as as the day progresses um, so you know if the, if the day's heating up then you've got basically some consistency there across all the groups. Yeah, and I think for that method too, that's some people's true version of a ladder test. Is well, that one round per load? Um, that, yeah. I've read a few articles on that method that they call it a true ladder test. Yeah, the, the, it, it differs from the ladder test. The, the true ladder test is something that um, a bench rest shooter devised and it involves shooting... Um, a whole range, say, 20 different charge increments, and they might only be, you know, 0.1 or 0.2 grains apart. Um, and you, you fire them um, all at the same point of aim, and generally you'll see them climbing up the page, but you'll see that the difference between uh, some shots will be smaller, smaller mm-hmm. than others. 
and what you're looking for is is clusters those, of yeah that's that's shots, right yeah you're looking and that's it, it's it's similar um, to the optimal charge weight process in that you're looking for where those clusters occur yep. but it's different in that um, you're only firing one shot but in order for it to be meaningful you have to have a supremely accurate rifle to begin with yeah. and so for a bench rest shooter um, that works well. Mm-hmm. And, and they actually recommend um, shooting it at 300 metres because at 100 metres, there's just not enough variation enough in the... Yeah. Well, there's not enough variation in the height yep. of the strike of the projectiles, whereas at 300, you can actually discern, okay, well, I can see that, you know, this shot is shot number one and this is shot number two because they're they're spaced accordingly. Yep. Um, but if you don't have the most accurate rifle um, or if if you're a hunter and you're using a hunting rifle mm. something like the optimal charge weight process is going to work much better for you because um, if you don't have a supremely accurate rifle then your rounds are going to be sort of all over the place and, yeah, and yeah. it's going to it's going to make it hard to pick those clusters confident with single shots yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um one thing we haven't touched on at all yet and I meant to ask you earlier Daryl was um in relation to primers and primer selection, is there any features uh, in the quick load program that, that allow you to enter that data for, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're going to yeah. use, a say, a, a large rifle primer, there's a huge variance in, in you know, manufacturers, yeah, for example. Point. And I did see a test years ago somebody had done on uh, Accurate Shooter, I believe, where, where they actually, you know, sectioned a whole bunch of cases, you know, cut them off maybe 10 mil above the, you know, the rim... And uh, using high-speed photography, they you know, could see the the different flashes, and there was a massive variance, huge variance. Oh yeah, the, there's there's a big difference uh, between the different brands, um, and no, quick load doesn't take into account um, the difference between brands and the difference between standard and magnum primers. Um, so you know that's that's one of the things. Um, I, I guess there are so many variables in firing a shot. Um, quick load accounts basically for the projectile, the the cartridge, and the powder, but yeah, it, it's not something that's taken into account with primers. And, you and you that, need to get yourself quick prime, Andrew. That's the that's the thing. Quick <laughs> well, prime. Develop it. Yeah, yeah, it could be your thing. Copyright. On Don't that, tell mate. anyone. Considering I struggle to turn a computer on, I struggle. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. In well, from your perspective, Daryl, if you were using quick load and then you you developed the load using whatever technique you wanted to to yep. fine tune it. Would you then examine the effect of changing nothing but the primer? Is this something that's worthwhile in your opinion? Yeah, look, um, it, it probably does have an effect. Um, certainly it has an effect on pressure. Um, studies have been done um, by by reloaders um, over the years, and, and I refer to one from Mick McPherson's book where he did a, a couple of tests with 3006 cartridge and it was purely a primer substitution test. So the projectile was kept the same, the cartridge was kept the same, they used the same batch of brass, the same loads, uh, everything the same. All they did was change the uh, the primer and across the range of primers uh, that they used, and, and they used not only large rifle primers but also large pistol primers, um, and they found that while there was only a 100 feet per second variation um, between the range of primers, there was a difference of 10,000 PSI. 
um, from from the oh, from massive. the mildest massive. to yeah. the to the hottest. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they weren't putting them in backwards or anything. Were <laughs> no, they? no. Okay, just checking. No, they like I said, they they got fairly consistent results in terms of velocity. Yep. Um, but huge differences in pressure. So I think um, it's important for 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 reloaders to note that once you find a load that works, um, stick with that same brand of primer all the time and, and the same type. And mm. if you are going to change primers, you probably want to actually back off the load a bit just in case um, they're a hotter primer um, and and work back up. But certainly it would be interesting to see what effect on, on accuracy changing the primer has. Because I remember uh, reading somewhere not too long ago, Rusty, we spoke about it, particularly in relation to the 300 wind mag, people were using large rifle primers instead of magnums and getting um, considerably reduced um, standard deviations in their velocities. So, yeah, and and I was one of those people because I tried it. I, I did all my load development around a magnum primer, and then thought, you know what, I'm just going to chuck some large rifle in just to see what happens. And my standard deviation came down from eight down to three or three point two or something. And your velocity actually went up. Yeah, from memory. I mean, yeah, just no, a little bit, but enough. Um, yeah, enough to measure it and know mm. that it was consistently doing it. And. Um, yeah, so that was that was interesting. The other thing that uh, touching on primers recently I've found um, is, I don't know if it's been a batch or, or something like that, but Lapier Brass, particularly in 308, um, some of the primer pockets have been expanding fairly well and primers have been not uh, fitting in. I know we've a uh, few of us and friends of ours have had that problem. Mm. Well, I'm finally getting through enough brass to actually um, experience that where primers are literally just falling out in the MTM case. And... Um, so doing that, and a, a friend of mine who's been helping with that has measured different primers and found the CCI ones rather than the federal ones were a little bit larger, only just. He's put them in there, and there'd been no sweat. So it was just enough mm. to be able to set it. Mm. And I, I, um, I haven't put them on paper uh, next to each other to see what the variation is in point of impact. However, I have shot them at 800 one after the other, not particularly knowing knowing that I had both in there, uh, and they're all hitting. So, and I had that today. I think that we we put uh, probably fifteen rounds, a bit of a mix of both, without knowing which was which, and they're all hitting. Yeah, uh, that, eight hundred okay. meters. So, yep. that, that's interesting. I mean, there, there shouldn't be any variation in primer dimensions. Um, you know, that they should all be to spec. There, there that, was. Yeah, yeah. look, I believe you, but I'm saying Ones that, would fall out and some wouldn't. Yeah, I, I think so. that, that sounds like a production quality issue. Um, certainly, there, there is differences in primer cup thicknesses between brands. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, Federal are known for having slightly thinner, more sensitive cups. So mm-hmm. if you've got a, a lighter striker or a lighter firing pin, um, then Federal's are the way to go. Um, yeah. But certainly they externally should all be the same diameter so yeah external diameter and is i think one factor but if they're thin walled cup they're not going to be i guess exerting as much outward yeah. pressure i mean they're yeah, interfer- interference mm. fit in the primer pocket so mm. if they're thin there's less sort of force to hold them in there so just an option maybe I'd- yeah it could be could be a fair point i mean um rob the bloke's name is he measured them and um he he came up with the uh the federals were Oh, the Winchesters were 0.209 inch, the Federals were 0.2095, and the CCIs were 0.210. So it yeah, was right. enough, to, mm. enough to be effective. And I was originally running Federals in there, and he's put CCIs in there, and 
they don't fall out. So for me, that that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's one thou, but over a fairly small measurement, that's mm. you know substantial. Mm. Point, so, point, point oh four of a mil. Yeah, it gives me more life out of my brass anyway. So um, we've touched on primers a little bit, but perhaps backing up one step, seating depth. Because um, we talked to reasonable amount of different options of charge weight, um, mm. but seating depth. Have you guys played with that much, and and what have you found? Yeah, personally, I haven't. I I started on twenty thou off. I start all my load development twenty thou off with the intent to to vary it. Usually go closer, yep. but then you, then you get bored. No, not, but, but <laughs> I, I get a node and I'm pretty happy, and I just stop there, um, and I don't go any further. But I'm primarily hunting. So, um, yeah, so I don't know whether Andrew. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I guess, sorry, Andrew, um, most of my rifles are hunting rifles and mm. quite often um, the throats are cut such that within the confines of the magazine you can't actually get your projectile right onto the lands mm. or close to the lands. Um, so generally there, there is going to be a jump, but, um, you know, I think, what you got to do if if you concede it to the lands, don't don't jam it into the lands. Um, maybe start off touching and and be aware that your pressures are going to be a little bit higher because the bullet doesn't have the the run up before it starts being engraved. So it's initially got more resistance when it's just starting to move, um, and then and then work back um, and and see what sort of um, you know accuracy you get. Uh, the thing to remember is that every rifle is going to be different. And some rifles love the projectile touching the lands, and some are very, very tolerant of a large jump, and yet you still get great accuracy. So um, th- there's no hard and fast rule. You just have to try your rifle and that projectile combination and find the, the, the best seating um, depth that works. And I think it's, it's probably the biggest factor is the, is the design and the projectile. I mean, um, so the Berger VLDs, for example... You know, when I had my six two eight four, that was you know my first centerfire rifle. You know, when I was eighteen, that all you could get really was the one hundred five VLD Burger, and you had to seat that to get accuracy with that rifle, touching basically touching the lands, and it, it was a pain. I had a couple of times on hunting trips where I'd go to you know eject a live round and leave the projectile in the rifling and dump the powder and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you got a dual trigger. That's like always one, fun. One grain of granular powder in the wrong spot and a dual trigger shuts your hunting trip down. So um, <laughs> that's more to do with the projectile design now. And, and Berger yeah. addressed that with you know, the their hybrids. hybrid style. Yeah. And, and the majority of projectiles available, even you know, that sort of predominantly orientated towards the long-range shooting, they're reasonably forgiving in that regard. Mm, yeah, I, I, I found uh, seating depth most significant on my um, 260 um, with the VLDs, funnily enough, and um, yeah, it was only it wasn't much movement, but just enough forward that they came real good and and seriously good from not bad at all to yeah, really mm. really tight. So but, it was enough to do it. But if I if I stuff it up and I don't set the die up right, yeah, they're uh, they've gone back to good, but they they generally perform better than that. The mm. the long VLD shape target projectiles um, that are good for bc uh, mm-hmm. and low drag also have that you know that seek and ogive which means there's a sudden transition between the ogive and the shank yep um and and that's why seating depth is critical whereas if you've got a a tangent ogive which is a 
a gradual, smooth sort of transition from shank to, to ogive, then they're more tolerant of, yep. of seeding depth, yeah. I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the 105 um, hybrid burger in the 6mm is actually a, is a higher ballistic coefficient than the 105 VLD, I believe. I think it is. I yeah. think it is. That's why it shows them, I think, when we did our little analysis thing many, many episodes ago. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I went with. I went with those, and that was based on BC, I'm pretty sure. It was the highest of the 105s in 6. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for me, even if the VLD was slightly higher, the you know the extra sort of forgiveness you get with a, with a hybrid design, mm. you know, I, I've... You know, pulled my hair out with some of the really finicky shaped projectiles. That you know, if you get them perfect, they are really good. But if you're a little bit out, and then you obviously yeah, got to yeah. take into account throat wear as well. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the ability to seat the projectile out any further in the case, like if it's just holding on, and your throat is wearing rapidly with a you know a high pressure, high intensity cartridge, it, that factor alone can limit your barrel life effectively. Mm. Yeah, you are true. you are correct. The uh, hybrids are the higher BC, um, but that obviously all stems down to having the correct <laughs> twist rate, Greg. Isn't, isn't that correct? That. I yeah. was waiting for that. Thanks. Sam. Good. No worries, mate. That's all. Right. I just wanted to make sure our listeners knew what they had to buy correctly. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Yeah. No, that's good. I'm very considerate. I'm I'm here for you, mate. I'm here for you. Now, um, uh, I think pretty much everyone's had a pretty uh, interesting or lucky story with uh, with their load development. You guys got anything that's just Worked perfectly for you, or gone completely wrong for you? Any any stories? No, Lord, yeah. Actually, I've got something, and, go. and that's half the reason why I rebarreled into six by forty-seven was with my three hundred eight. Although I achieved probably you know an okay-ish result anyway in the end, I had that factory barrel had such a huge jump to the lands, even with the projectile barely in the case, the jump was still massive, like. Yeah. really large and I just couldn't get really consistent results uh, that I wanted and yeah. and that, that really motivated a rebarrel of that gun but um, yeah any, anything I've been able to get up near the lands I've, I've, I've been able to get really good results with anything I can't get near the lands I've, I've struggled with or within reason like this was huge jump not not medium jump it was big um, yeah and, uh, yeah, so that's sort of my bad luck story on that particular gun. I won't name the brand. I um, I haven't, not this happens, has happened to me, but I've certainly seen, you know, results and photographic evidence of what can happen if people, you know, get things badly wrong. Um, one that comes to mind was a, a Seiko TRG 42 in 338 lap that yeah. uh, somebody had decided that obviously they needed um, 2225 which is the powder oh, you wanted, yeah, whereas yeah. they had unfortunately loaded a hundred odd grains of double two oh five. That'll that'll go well. Yeah, yeah. that's what run was that. the pressure increase it was like. Oh well, we blew five the, fold. Blew the gun max. to pieces. Yeah. I, I mean, it literally launched the barrel downrange, split the receiver, blew the uh, twelve to forty two Schmidt in half, and took the ends of the guy's fingers off. Um, yeah, and that was just a, a relatively simple loading mistake to make. That's what mm. I call a bad day at the range. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean that, that's still better yeah. better than the best at work. Debatable. Okay, maybe that's that's a line. Yeah, yeah, it probably wouldn't go quite that far. But I mean that that mistake would not be one someone who's 
you know, an experienced loader would make, given the the difference in the two mm. powders physically is huge. Mm. Oh, yeah. But you know, evidently this was the first round the guy had fired out of the gun. You know, and the last, funnily enough, he might want to get yeah. the beer fridge out of the reloading room. <laughs> he might want to take a bit of reloading advice, I think. Yeah. I, I think good. from my experience too, one thing, um, especially with a new gun, um, make sure that everything is tight and as it should be because sometimes you can waste a whole lot of rounds doing load development oh, thing. Oh, isn't I'm, that so true? I, oh, yes. I'm not getting any decent results here, but then, then you, you realise the scope's on backwards. Yeah. You, you realise <laughs> that, you know, there's, there's there's a bit of movement in the scope or something like that. There's there's some other gun issue, which yeah. is just undoing all your efforts to actually find a, a reasonable cartridge. And, and I've certainly seen, you know, other people at the range having all sorts of trouble trying to, you know, zero rifles mm. or, or develop a load and you have a look at their rifle and you, you find it's some other underlying issue, nothing to do mm. with their ammunition. I've certainly had that. Well, I've got a, a good news story then, um, uh, I, and it's a lucky one. I'll probably never repeat it again, but I've had three 22D50s, and the first one it was was when I was first ever load developing, and I, I, or loading, actually, and I made a load up, almost sort of just took a midway point on the ADI book, as probably plenty of people seem to, put the, the charge in, put the uh, thing in, and took it out, and it shot um, as good as I could at the stage, and uh, it was shooting sort of half half inch groups comfortably and fairly consistently so i went all right well i'm not going to try any development i'll just leave it as is when i got my second 22 to 50 i thought so, so why did you divorce that first 22 to 50 funnily enough i didn't i got a second 22 to 50 at the same time and one for saturday one for sunday that's exactly right put the um uh, different styles come on Greg. one was a heavy barrel one was a light yeah, barrel you should task. know you different should know task. i mean you and your bloody 15 cars you've got for different days of the week you should Related back to rifles. Anyway, money bags. Um, so we uh, put the same round into um, the other 22 to 50, um, and it shot really, really well as well. And then I got my uh, moved that on eventually and rebarreled my first 22 to 50. Same round, still, it actually shot better. So probably due to the the gunsmithing, I guess, on that <laughs> rifle would be my my guess. Pro- probably, probably. Um, but it just yeah, just that one one round has worked across three completely separate or two two completely separate guns, and then one of a rebarrel, and it has shot better than I need it to um, for what its purpose is. Um, so anyway, I can. So if you're interested in that load, uh, I, I'm offering it for fifty dollars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. that, that is that is something in but, the in the optimal charge weight process. If if you read the the page on the website about that, you know the creator actually says um, it, it's funny that some some loads just seem to shoot consistently well yep. in in all or not all, but in many rifles, not yep. just in one rifle. And and he said, you know, a lot of that has got to do with finding that charge and that that um, that load. Um, so the seating depth and projectile that is the most tolerant um, to yep. changes in pressure because then those changes in pressure which will be exhibited between one rifle and another um, will also work out to, to be smaller variations and so that that particular load will be perhaps more consistent than, mm. than most across a range of rifles. I thought I was just really lucky. But that, that sounds like a much more sensible uh, analysis of the you situation. You probably were lucky because of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's reason for it, so. Very good. Guys, in terms of uh, load development, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up before we uh, wrap up? Or? Yeah, just yep. just one thing. Um, I think 
for convenience, a lot of people tend to choose like a half grain or a, a full grain um, variation in charge increments when they're working up a load. Yep. Um, but I think it really pays to remember that um, there's a big difference in in what that charge will do um, dependent on the size of your case. So if you're doing load development for a uh, you know a triple two or a two two three, um, a one or even a half grain increment is going to present a much bigger pressure increase than it will in a 300 Winchester Magnum where you might be using 60 grains of powder. So I think it's 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 actually good to work in terms of percentages um, yep, because that, that will sense. yeah that will work in um, for whatever size you know case and charge that you you're using. Um, as I said, I I usually start at at 10% below max and work up in two percent increments until I get towards the end, and then I'll do the last one will be a one percent increment to yep. to max. Um, and I've I've just got a I developed just a simple little spreadsheet. Um, so that I can punch in my max charge, and it will give me the increments from ten percent right oh, yeah. up to That's uh, good. yeah, hmm. right up to max. Um, because you know, as you probably know, um, you can traverse a, a a lot of space in you know twenty or to twenty point five grains um, hmm. powder charge in a two two three, um, and you might find that you need to to find the very you know, most accurate load, you might need to go up in 0.1 grain increments because hmm. uh, they have a noticeable effect. Yeah, certainly. Very good. Um, one thing probably good to uh, to say about load development is we have a competition running at the moment uh, where people can send in questions about uh, topics and we'll either find an answer or tell you what we know about it or find someone else who knows much more than we know about it and the prize for the best question of each episode that we ask those questions in is a load right kit from precision rifle products which is a brilliant way to do load development on the range where you can put all your powder into different tubs and you can actually respond to what the gun's doing whether you be doing your, your very you're different i guess it's fairly versatile because you can do different types of uh, of um load development and it allows you to sort of work around whichever method you choose yeah yeah it allows you to to throw charges at the range for both you know whichever seating depth you're finding is giving you the best um best results or Mm. or the different charges that you want to progress to without having to go home and um you know load Mm. up a whole other bunch it uh, certainly saves time yeah it's good or trying to get your charge master to behave itself in the wind that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's another fun part. That's right. Uh, cool. So um, hopefully that's given uh, a bit of a, an overview of some different types of load development. I'm sure there's other ways that people do it, and uh, we'd love to hear from whoever if you have a different way of doing it, um, whether, you know, maybe a teaspoon, scrape it off, chuck it in, and hope for the best, <laughs> um, which, you know, if it works, it works. Um, so let us know if you have a different type of uh, load development to do. Thanks to everyone for coming in, uh, particularly Daryl for making a special guest appearance. I'm sure no it probably won't be your last. My, my pleasure. It's been good to having you, and uh, thanks, guys, for coming in. Hopefully, you all get out for a shoot in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Hopefully. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.